We're going to start in Joel this morning, chapter 1. Joel was a prophet in the Old Testament who lived about 700 years before Jesus. This is before Nebuchadnezzar showed up with his army and took all of Judah hostage and hauled them off to uh, Babylon. But Joel can see that it's coming because the people of Judah have rebelled against God. They're not being righteous. They are worshiping idols and they're not serving Yahweh God. He understands that there's a problem. And in Joel 1.14, he says, Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. The context of the verses before this is he says, There's been no rain, the crops are drying up, the ground is as hard as clods, the animals are dying, and there is no word of the Lord. He said, obviously we are under the judgment of God, and his answer is, call a fast, call a national assembly, everybody show up at the temple in Jerusalem, and we need to fall on our face before God and repent of our sin. In chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep before the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Joel realizes that the nation is in serious trouble with God, that God has rejected them and they're under judgment. And he can see uh, later on in this chapter, he prophesies the army of Nebuchadnezzar coming and hauling them off as hostages, and, but he can see it in the drought and the crop failure, and we're not being blessed like the promises of God say that we are. Something is wrong, and his answer is to call fast, and everybody must come. He said, from the youngest nursing babe to the people you would think would have the greatest excuse not to come if you're getting ready to get married tomorrow, cancel your wedding and show up here. That's what he says. Let the bridegroom leave his chamber and the bride her dressing room. That's how serious this is. So he he calls an assembly and there's no evidence that it ever happened. He's just desperate for it to happen. But what he was prophesying came true. Nebuchadnezzar's army came and God did judge the people of Judah. They were hauled off. But Joel recognizes we need to humble ourselves before God and the way to do that is by fasting. I want to talk to you about fasting this morning. Aren't you glad God out of bed early for this one? (laughs) Yeah, somehow Joel knows that fasting is going to add something to their repentance and to their prayer. You can see through Scripture that in the Old Testament and the New Testament that fasting adds something to our prayer. It's like prayer plus or prayer on steroids. But the Bible never, ever explains it. It doesn't say why it's more powerful. It just makes it very clear that it is. There's so many biblical examples of fasting, Old and New Testament. We can't read them all. I don't have time to even reference them all, but I want to refer to a few of them. The first time the Bible mentions fasting is Moses on Mount Sinai. He fasts for 40 days while he's up there with God getting the Ten Commandments and the law. Again, it doesn't explain why Moses knew he should do that. 
or it doesn't even say God told him to. He just did. Why did he know that it, that would work? I don't know. The Bible doesn't explain that. It just says that he didn't eat for 40 days and nights while he was up there. There are many other examples, but just a few that I want to throw out. Saul, King Saul, very unwisely calls a fast during a day of war. They're fighting a battle and they're winning. And Saul, being the impetuous moron that he is, calls a fast during a battle. And he says, no one may eat the rest of the day, which is really stupid for his soldiers. And his son, Jonathan, doesn't hear that command. Saul says, anybody who eats before the sun goes down, I will execute them. And his son, Jonathan, doesn't hear that command because he isn't with him when it happens. And later on in the day, he sees a beehive. He reaches up with his sword and he dips it in the honey and he licks the honey. And Saul finds out about it and he said, I said I would kill whoever it is, and so I'm going to kill my own son, Jonathan. And the rest of the army steps between Saul and Jonathan and says, you will not be killing him today. It's the day he's the hero of the battle, actually, if you know the story where he and his servant cross the big canyon and they take on the whole army by themselves, and he's the big hero of the day, and Saul is going to kill him. The army said, nope, you won't be doing that today. There's an unwise time to fast. There's a seven-day fast called when Saul and Jonathan die in battle. The people of Israel and Judah fast for seven days. During a seven-day long funeral, they don't eat or drink. David fasts when the prophet comes to expose his sin with Bathsheba, and he's gotten her pregnant through adultery, and the prophet says the child will die. And David fasts until the child is born and then until it dies. And again, it doesn't say why David thought that would be a more powerful prayer. It's just obvious that he did. The King Ahab, who is the second or third most wicked man in world history. I mean, he's right up there with the top. In, in the scripture, he is, Ahab and Jezebel are as evil as they come. The prophet comes to Ahab and he says, God says you're going to die. And he tears his coat and he puts ashes on his head and he begins to fast. And a couple of days later, God comes to the prophet and he says, go tell Ahab I've heard his prayer and he's not going to die. And that offends me. God's mercy is offensive. Like God, he was as evil as he is. He doesn't eat for two days and you let him off the hook. Like that's offensive mercy, God. I don't, I don't understand that. But fasting is powerful before God. Daniel fasts often in his life. Not just the Daniel fast that you've heard of, which was his regular diet, which was eating vegetables and fruits and only drinking water. That's not a fast, that's a diet. But often he would fast, and he fasted 40 days at one point while the angel army was fighting to get to him, if you know that story from, from Daniel. This, when God sends the prophet Jonah to Nineveh, Jonah shows up and he says, you're all going to die. Nineveh was a wicked, evil place. They worshipped some seriously dark gods. And they were so brutal to the people that they conquered. I mean, they regularly, when they did in battle, they would impale people on spears alive and they would castrate and they'd poke out eyes and pull out fingernails and skin people alive. I mean, they were evil, brutal people. And God sends Jonah to them and says, you're all going to die. I'm going to destroy your city. And the king commands a fast and the the entire city, including the animals, will not fed. They make their animals fast. And three days later, God tells Jonah, tell them I've heard their prayer and I'm going to show mercy. And Jonah gets mad and says, God, I I don't even know what to do with that. Just kill me now. I can't stand your mercy, God. I I can't, I don't understand that kind of forgiveness. Just, just kill me now. 
Because God's mercy is offensive. He is so loving and kind if we will repent at all. Nineveh called a fast. Joel calls a fast in these scriptures I just read to you. In the book of Ezra, Ezra shows up from what was then the Persian Empire to take charge of the city of Jerusalem and begin building the wall and the temple. And, and he finds out that the Israelite men who've returned before him have married Canaanite women. And they're worshiping idols again. And he goes ballistic. I mean, he blows his top. He cannot believe that they're doing the exact same thing that resulted in the judgment of God 100 years ago and had hauled off their fathers and grandfathers into captivity. He said, you're doing it again? And, what he, and when he finds out, he rips his clothes off, and he dumps ashes on his head, and he puts on sackcloth, which is like potato sack, gunny sack kind of material, and he squails and laments all night in the temple. And the next morning he gets up and he says, everybody in three days is going to show up here and we're going to fast and we're going to pray and we're going to fall on our face before God and repent of our sin. He said, if you don't show up on the morning of the third day, I will kill you and reduce your house to a pile of rubble. How serious and intense the, uh, the man Ezra was. He was an intense dude. That you will show up and you will fast and you will repent of your sin. It's, pre- it's pretty amazing. We come to Jesus' life and when he's born and, and taken to the temple uh, on day eight to be circumcised, we find a woman named Anna who is a widow who's 85 years old. And it says she never left the temple and she served the Lord with fasting and prayer day and night. Fasting serves the Lord. This is not a fast of desperate prayer. It's not a fast of repentance. Her fasting is different. I don't know why she did it or why she thought fasting would serve the Lord, but she did. Of course, we all know that Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, spent 40 days without food. And Paul says, I fast often. So in Scripture, we find the fast of desperate need. When I need something urgently and desperately, the people would fast. When there was repentance, either the prophet would come and rebuke them or they realized their own sin, they would immediately begin to fast. There was fasting for mourning the death of people. And with Anna and possibly Paul, we see the fast of ministry to the Lord, the fast of love. Communion with God. I know that I don't look like it, but I have fasted a lot. I realize that um, I don't look like I have the body of a faster because I haven't fasted much as much the last few years as I did the 10 or 15 before that. But I do know what I'm talking about. I don't claim to know everything, and there's people who know more than me, but I do know what I'm talking about. I've done one and three and seven days with just water, and I've done... 10 and 12 and 40 with fruit juice and done numerous Daniel fasts where you eat just fruits and vegetables, which really isn't a fast. It's just a, it's just a little bit of a sacrifice, but I, I do know what I'm talking about. I don't claim that I know it all, but I know what it feels like and I know what happens uh, when you go without food for a, more, a week or more. So I know that some of you are hardcore experts and others of you are total noobs and you've never done it before and are interested, and others of you are terrified. Like, I don't want that. I don't want to do that. All right, just let me explain and give you some some, uh, information, some Bible stuff for you, and just some practical wisdom. And So the Old Testament 
never explains why people fasted. It just says that they did. And then it tells us the results of the fast. And the New Testament, we don't know why Jesus fasted. We could just see that it ends in his victory over Satan. We don't know why Paul says, I fast often. He doesn't explain that. What does his fast do? Why does he think it's powerful? Uh, you know, we're a year into our, my series on opening your spiritual eyes and giving you spiritual vision and not just being a physically oriented person. And I'm a, two months into a spiritual authority and it's very clear scripturally that fasting is a spiritual activity even though it's mainly oriented in the body and that there is authority to our prayers when we fast that isn't there in normal everyday prayers. So I just want to explain that. The Old Testament, people knew to, knew to fast, and there were actually commanded fasts where the leader of the nation calls everybody to come and fast. And there are still obligatory fasts in Jewish religion and culture today. There are two days where Jews who are practicing believing Jews are supposed to pra- uh, fast, and that's the, before the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, which is the big day of sacrifice in the Old Testament where they uh, sacrificed all the animals to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people of the nation and everyone was forgiven for the sins of the previous year. Yom Kippur is still celebrated by believing Jews even though they don't have a temple and they don't make animal sacrifices today. They still believe that's the day of atonement and on the day before they are to completely fast and it's not just food. It's no food, no drink, you can't go to work, no sexual intercourse. The day is completely set aside to do nothing but pray. And specifically, you're supposed to call to mind your sins of the previous year. And if you have a broken relationship or somebody that you need to go repent to or apologize to, you're supposed to go to them so that the next day on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, your sins will be forgiven. They do that believing Jews. There's lots of Jews that don't practice and don't believe, but the ones that believe, they, uh, they observe that fast every year. There's another one uh, called Tisha B'Av, which is uh, the remembrance of the destruction of the temple. 35 years after Jesus, the Roman army destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, and they still have their wailing wall there that's left over from that that they believe is part of the, te- the temple destruction. But they fast in remembrance and mourning of the destruction of their temple. There are other minor fasting days in Jewish religion that are not required, but encouraged. There's a day called Tevet, which is remembrance of the siege of Jerusalem. And in modern times, Tevet has been changed into a memorial day for those that died in the Nazi Holocaust. Next week, they will be celebrating Purim. And Purim is the Esther holiday, where they celebrate their victory over their Jews when Mordecai and Esther saved them from the death edict of the king. And that's next Wednesday of next week. And I can't wait for next Sunday because I'm so pumped about what I have for you next Sunday. Uh, There's the fast of the firstborn. All firstborn sons are to fast the day before Passover as thanksgiving to God for preserving the firstborn sons in Israel on the night of Passover. So there's a fast of mourning. There's a fast of remembrance. There's a fast of thanksgiving. There's a fast of repentance still today in Jewish observance. You with me? A bride and groom are expected to fast the day before their wedding. That's so that The past is dead and gone and cleaned away and they come into their wedding day fresh and clean and they start a new life together as one. They fast before their wedding. Uh, Observing Jews will also fast on the anniversary of the death of their parents and possibly even grandparents, a particularly close loved one. 
Fasting is one of the pillars of Islam. And I'm not here to say that Islam is anything we should pay attention to. I'm just building up to a point here. Muhammad commanded Muslims to fast. And the word is taqwa. Is they believe that it makes them Allah conscious. Taqwa means Allah conscious. And that, that fasting makes them more conscious of the spirit of their God. And it's, it's not enforced any day except Ramadan. Ramadan is their month-long fast, which Muhammad commanded an actual 40-day fast. But as soon as he was dead, they stopped that, and they just fast during the day while the sun's up, and then they eat all night. So it's kind of dumbed down uh, from what Muhammad actually commanded. Buddha was in search of enlightenment, which our Bible term would be revelation. He wanted spiritual connection, spiritual understanding. And the Christian word for that is revelation. The Buddhist word is enlightenment. Revelation and spiritual contact, spiritual enlightenment. And so he began to fast. Why did he know to fast? I don't know. But I know that Buddhist monks still today eat almost nothing their entire life. And when they do eat, it's tiny amounts. And they believe that that awakens their spirit uh, and contacts the spirit world. Buddha almost starved himself to death trying to reach enlightenment. He realized that that Killing himself wasn't going to be the answer. Uh, But if you know anything about Buddhism, you know that they completely reject the physical world and even their own bodies, not in a healthy way, the way Christianity teaches us to control the lusts of the flesh and to say no to our temptations. The Buddhists just, they reject the physical world and our physical bodies and that anything physical is unreal and unimportant and it's a very... Uh, hellish idea, but fasting is one of their disciplines. So again, we have these different people groups and different religions in the ancient world, none of which would have contacted each other necessarily to get the idea that fasting was something to do. They all just knew that it was something to do. And nobody ever explains it. How did they know? I don't know, except that they knew that the prophets who fasted heard from God. It's as mathematical as 2 plus 2 equals 4. If you fast, you will hear from God. There is no way to explain the science of it. You just have to do it and you'll know it. Y'all look really excited. Come on. Come on. So Jesus comes along and he, he talks about fasting, but he never teaches about it. He didn't say how to do it or why it's got any life or power on it. He just says when you fast. He just assumes that we will. He says, when you fast, don't screw up your face and walk around bragging about how tough you are or how religious you are. Just go about your normal day. Put on your hair and your makeup and go about your normal day because you're not doing it to show off how strong and tough you are or how religious you are. Just fast in secret between you and God. He just assumes that we will do it. But he never tells us why we should or how it works. He just assumes it and he practiced it. But he never, get this, he never commanded it. Nowhere in New Testament is fasting commanded. It is not a scriptural Christian command to fast. Fasting is always voluntary. Fasting is always voluntary. The Pharisees had forced their disciples to fast on particular given days. John the Baptist even forced his disciples to fast on certain days. And they came to Jesus and complained, how come your disciples don't observe our fasts? And Jesus gives them their answer. You know, he says, well, because I'm the bridegroom with them, and when the bridegroom leaves, then they will, fast. They will have a reason to fast. So he, he sees that there's a day coming when they will want to fast, but required fasting always turns into legalism. And observing and doing the thing instead of the heart behind it. 
So Jesus never commanded it. But Christians came along, and what we know is the Catholic Church came along, and humans being humans, people being people, we make everything into laws and rules, and we make handbooks with instructions on everything, and so sure enough, the Christian Church comes along, and we make fasting into a bunch of rules again. The people in the Middle Ages, uh, the Christians of that day, began to think that they needed to pay a little bit for their sins, and separate themselves from the world, and be hard on themselves so that they could show God how sorry they were for their sins. So you had monks moving off into monasteries and praying all day. And had the, the people who were called flagellants who would beat themselves, whip themselves on the back, and the blood would flow heavy. Uh, they thought it would protect them from the plague, and they thought it would show God how sorry they were for their sins. There was a group of monks known for stripping naked and jumping into rose bushes on a fairly regular basis. And then as they would crawl out of the rose bushes, you know, they're all ripped up. This was to punish their body, to get rid of sin and to show God how sorry they were for their sin. There was a guy named Simon the Stylite who spent 20 years on top of a 20 foot tall pole. He just put a board on the top and he put on a loincloth and he sat there cross-legged for 20 years in the sun and the wind and the snow and the rain. He just sat there. I suppose they sent food up in a bucket to him when he did want to eat. I don't know. But he was going to show God how holy he was and going to be closer to God through his suffering. That is a Buddhist idea. It's not Christianity. It's a human idea that we have to somehow pay a price to become closer to God. No, Christianity says Jesus paid a price so that we can be closer to God. We cannot pay for our own sin. And if we try, you're slapping Jesus in the face. You're saying the cross is not sufficient. We live by faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, that I can't and I won't and I shouldn't pay for my sin. Jesus did it all. I'm not trying to show him how sorry I am. I'm trying to show him how much I love him. That's why I serve and suffer and work, is not to make myself righteous or to make myself worthy. I can't do that. But I can serve him out of thankfulness. We tend to think that if I change, God will love me more. But he loves us more so that we can change. Amen? Then we come into Lent. You know, the Christian church commanded a 40-day fast before Easter, and we just started that on Wednesday. I know probably nobody here did, but millions, billions of Christians around the world started Lent. And again, like Ramadan with the Muslims, it's just become an observance where uh, originally it was a 40-day fast, and it was meant to be holy. And then it turned into, well, uh, we just won't eat meat. And then it was, well, you can have fish on Fridays. And then it was, well, you can just give up whatever you want to give up for land. And it just keeps getting rolled back because of legalism, because the heart is really not in it with most of the observers. But my point in all of that is just to show you that all of the ancient people, all of our very ancient forefathers and mothers somehow knew that fasting had spiritual power on it they knew that you could contact God by not eating. Wabahasha was a Santee Sioux Native American chief in what is now Minnesota. He lived in the 1700s before contact with white people, before contact with Christians, totally outside, isolated as the Native Americans were on this continent with no contact with anybody else I've mentioned yet. Wabasha said this, to purify your heart, And so see clearer the way of the great spirit. Touch no food for two or more days according to your strength. For thereby your spirit hath mastery over the body and the body is purged. 
Even the Native Americans figured this out on their own without being taught anything from any other culture, have spiritual communion with God through fasting. It's true. It works. It really does. So what about not eating makes our spirit contact God in an easier or more effective way? It makes a connection with God because you are not just a body. You have a soul and a spirit in your body and you are not body soul and spirit separate three things you are a soul and a spirit in a body so what is good for your body is good for your spirit and what is good for your spirit is good for your body and what is bad for your spirit is bad for your body you know that when you got anger and stress and depression it eats your body away you start having health problems right and what is good for your spirit is good for your body what happens when you are full of joy and peace your body is at peace after Elijah calls down the fire from God in front of Ahab and Jezebel, he runs off to the cave and he's hiding and he says, God, just kill me, just kill me. And God puts him to sleep and then he feeds him. And this, the quote from this woman said, never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. Because then he goes for 40 days on the strength of that food. All right, you all know your kids. If you feed them the right thing, they go from being hangry to being very peaceful. And if you feed them the wrong thing, if you give them sugar, they can, it, it totally affects their soul, right? Their emotions get stirred up by what's going on in their body. We know this, all right? Depression and anxiety, a lot of times, are vitamin deficiencies. There's so much that is nutritional that is, uh, affects our soul and our spirit. And so, what's going on, my point is, what's going on in our body absolutely creates a spiritual climate inside of us. So, fasting is not just physical, it's spiritual. It creates an opening, it creates a... A, a pathway, a connection between us and God. Because you are not just a body and a soul and a spirit. You are an embodied spirit. A spirit that cannot be separated from your body. And what's going on in one affects the other for sure. What I'm talking about in fasting is not a cleanse. Okay, I'm, I know you, a bunch of you know about liver cleanses and gallbladder cleanse and a bowel cleanse and, and all this stuff. And it's not a weight loss diet. I'm not talking about dieting. I'm not talking about health at all. Although there are huge health benefits, fasting is not for health. It's not even for self-discipline or self-control. Although self-discipline and self-control are Christian virtues, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We absolutely better have self-control about what goes on in our, in our mouth. But fasting is never about, just the goal of it is never about health or self-control. Not biblically it absolutely will result in self-sacrifice and sanctification and self-control, and we all need those things. It's, but biblically, fasting is never about denying the body. We're not just punishing our body for our sin. We're not just trying to take charge and control our body just to see if we can do it. It's not about showing God how sorry we are. It's not about showing God how holy we are. Hey, God, look at me. I'm fasting. So now that I've won some points with you, you can answer my prayer. None of that. None of that is what fasting is about. Fasting is, is never about just denying our body or punishing ourselves for our sin or just seeing how much we can take. It's always about communication with God. In the, in the Bible, when people are praying... For, and fasting for spiritual reasons. It's always about communication with God. So fasting just for personal health or for diet reasons is really just a diet. Fasting for those reasons, it's going to work. You're going to lose weight. But if that's the goal, then you take all the 
transcendent power out of it. It has to be toward God or it's not a fast. Just like Jesus told the Pharisees, you give your money, but you've already got your reward because you're doing it for show. And when you pray, you pray these loud, long public prayers and all you're getting is points with people. You're not winning any points with God. God isn't even listening to your prayers. So fasting for any other reason than just holiness toward God and prayer either in desperation or repentance or just out of love. It's going to work in your body, but it takes the transcendent power out of it. There is tremendous healing power in not eating. Really, the most of our energy and most of what our body is doing every day is just digesting what we put in it. And most of what we put in it is garbage in our modern world, uh, for sure. There is tremendous health benefits. If we would just eat less and eat less often and eat what God made instead of what people made. I know I'm a hypocrite in saying that because I, I love me some junk food. But um, there is great healing power. Big health problems go away when people's bodies are free to heal instead of digest junk food. It is, fasting is a Sabbath rest for our body. So in that way, it is a physical rest, but God commanded the Israelites to rest on the Sabbath, not for them, but for him. It's a spiritual activity. So, so is fasting. It's got tremendously huge benefits for us, but when we do it toward God, it's a spiritual activity as well. It's a Sabbath rest for our body. And like a little toddler that doesn't want to take a nap, your body will probably throw a fit. I don't want this rest. And you're going to have to convince it that it's really good for it to not have caffeine and sugar and all that other stuff that it wants. Amen? Been there, done that? I'm going to fast today and you make it till noon. Uh-huh. Yeah. So again, I know some of you have, are experts in this. Some of you have tried it and failed. Others of you haven't even tried it because it terrifies you. I'm just here to talk to you about what it is. So I truly, I know from Sarah and things that she's taught me and given me, if you don't know my wife, she's a dietitian, and I know that a large majority of our health problems would go away if we would just eat less and less often. Big health problems that you would not think are related to your diet, are related to your diet. And spiritually, I just, I say this, that almost all of the health problems in this room that are unrelated to an accident, like when you hurt your knee or you hurt your back, almost all the health problems that would go away if we would forgive and fast. Kenneth Hagin said 99% of the miraculous healings he saw happened when he led somebody in forgiveness, not when he prayed for healing. And he saw thousands of instantaneous, miraculous healings. He said 99% of them were when I led somebody in resolving their past and forgiving the person that hurt them. That combined with just getting our bodies cleaned out of the garbage that we have eaten and breathed in and lived in would resolve most people's health problems. The chronic ones. I just want to say again, that's all true. And it's really powerful and it's really important. Uh, talk to Sarah if you've got digestion problems from, of any sort. Um, she can help you out. She knows her stuff. But fasting for health reasons and calling that spiritual is taking all the spiritual power out of it. You're going to see health benefits for sure. But that's not the reason that God, we do it to God. You can do a diet 
do a cleanse, great. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying if we're going to call a fast, it's got to be about prayer. Taking fasting only as a physical benefit or a cleanse or a diet removes the spiritual power out of it. So, biblically, fasting is no food or water or just water. I myself and many other people um, on an extended fast will drink fruit juice. Sometimes, you know, herbal tea that doesn't have caffeine, can't have caffeine because you're trying to give your body a rest, not stimulate it. Don't counteract the fast by drinking a bunch of caffeine to stay awake. That kind of defeats the purpose of giving your body a rest. So the point is no outside inputs. I'm just setting myself aside for God today. So biblically, a fast is just water or sometimes even for three days, no water. I've never tried that one. I've gone part of a day. That wasn't any fun. Uh, I've done three days and seven days just water. I think seven days with just water might have been harder than 40 days on fruit juice. Um, that was difficult, but Freedom in September did 21 days, just water. Cold turkey, had you even fasted before? One three-day fast, and then she jumps in the deep end and does 21 days, just water. And, you know, if you want to ask her about her symptoms, go right ahead. It can be done, but uh, that's a biblical fast. But I understand that in our world, there are other ways to fast. There's what's called the Daniel fast, which is I'm just going to eat fresh fruits and vegetables. I'm giving up all the rich foods I love and the sugar and the caffeine and the starches and breads and meats and dairy, the stuff that really makes us feel full and good. I'm just going to eat fruits and vegetables as a sacrifice to God, and that's fine. Um, really, I honestly would rather see you all give up electronics. All of the inputs that steal our mind away from God, that's as important. If you're going to fast, you have to include that for sure. Because it doesn't matter if you just don't eat food, but then you go about your normal day and you don't take time to pray. Because it's about prayer. So uh, I understand that there's you know, people who just give up sugars or whatever, and, and that's all fine. But if it's truly a sacrifice between you and God, it's something you need to break free from because it's been an addiction or something you rely on for strength. The first thing you think of in the morning is your cup of coffee, then it might be a problem. You might want to be the first thing you think of is God. And uh, if you wake up and you're fasting from coffee for a week and you think of coffee and then you realize you can't have it, that will put your mind on God instantly. Yeah? Because when you're fasting, if you're fasting food, you will be hungry. And part of that serves to remind us to pray because I, like everybody else, you start to pray and then you start thinking about what you're praying about and then you start thinking about the next thing and 20 minutes later you realize you haven't been praying. When you're fasting, there's always that reminder, right? That, oh, yes, hi, God, sorry, I forgot about you. Uh, yes, I am fasting today and uh, yeah, this uh, is not any fun, God, but uh, uh, let's, let's talk. You will feel hungry. You will be more food conscious when you're fasting than on any other day, which is ironically sad, but it's the way it happens. If you weren't fasting, the thing in front of you probably wouldn't tempt you all that much, but when you are fasting, it's the only thing you can think about. And it's just, it's the way it is. It's unavoidable. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Sarah and I were fasting yesterday and she hates boxed mac and cheese. And Sarah Harvest made boxed mac and cheese for supper, and it was really bad, apparently, because Will, who's our garbage disposal eater, uh, says, this is the worst mac and cheese I've ever had. 
but I had my nose in the pot sniffing it up and Sarah's over there said, I can smell the macaroni cooking and she hates mac, box mac and cheese. She, if we were going to eat that for supper, she would just pass because she does that a lot, just skips dinner or whatever. But, but since she's fasting, it's, oh God, it's mac and cheese. Uh-huh. You might have a headache, especially if you're caffeine addicted. Sarah has headaches when she fasts. I generally don't. I had a terrible one yesterday. I don't know why. I've never experienced that before, but it was, it was rough. Um, you might have difficulty concentrating. Uh, you might need a short nap in the afternoon. Obviously, there are changes in your uh, trips to the restroom. You will have bad breath. It's unavoidable. Just have some sugar-free gum ready to go at all times because it will be bad. If you extend your fast, you will have body odor, uh, dry mouth, joint pain, um, and freedom broke out in a rash in hers, but it didn't scare us or surprise us. We knew that was coming. When, you, when your body is free to not digest food and get rid of that, then it starts pulling toxins and garbage out of your fat cells and your skin cells and your hair, and things begin to clean out. Your liver dumps and your gallbladder dumps, and it's very, very healthy, but it's not a whole lot of fun. You will get weak. But 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My strength is made perfect in weakness. You will find God. You will. What are the spiritual benefits of not eating? Why is that even something remotely spiritual when it's purely physical? Whatever goes on in our body affects our spirit. So going without food is a sacrifice and it gives value to whatever you are going without food for. So if you are serious about getting in shape and losing weight or doing that triathlon or whatever it is you do, and you skip food for that goal, it gives value to that goal. Because I paid a price to reach this goal. Hello? So when you skip food for God, it builds value for your connection with God inside of you because you paid a price for that. If you skip a meal because you're working on some project in the garage or at work or you're off having fun on the snowmobile or the boat and you realize, oh, it's way past lunchtime. I didn't even realize I was hungry. It's because that other thing had your attention and it was important to you and it was valuable to you and you skipped a meal for it. God needs to be valuable. And skipping food which is one of the most important things there is, places value on our communion with God. I sacrifice for you, God. Uh, You are more important to me than physical survival. I pay a price to deliberately set apart this day to you instead of myself. Fasting is never alone. It is always with prayer in Scripture. Fasting is not just going about without food. It's getting alone with God And it's seriously concentrated prayer. Now I understand and Jesus understands that if you have to fast on the day you have to work, that is, you're not just going to go out in the wilderness for a day or for three days or 40 days. And maybe you can, but most likely you can't. He says, when you fast, do your hair, put on your makeup, put on your regular clothes and go about your day. So he understands that you're not going to be able to pray all day. But when you're home from work, don't turn on the TV, don't start up the computer, get alone. Today is a day of sanctification. Today is the day or these three days or whatever 
uh, are set apart to God and I'm not going to do anything I don't absolutely have to do. I'm going to pray in the morning and in the, in the evening. And it may not be all you do, but it should ramp up considerably. Fasting will clean out your spirit while it cleans out your body. It really will. What's good for your body is going on in your spirit also. A Catholic priest that I heard teach on this, he said, it's like uh, cleaning off your battery connection in your car. He said, you've got a connection, but when you clean it off, you've got a lot more voltage. And it just flows more clean and free. When you clean out your body, it cleans out your spirit, and that gives you a greater connection with God. I don't know how to explain it. And those of you who fasted successfully, you know it. But those of you who haven't, I can't tell you. It's just one of those things you have to learn by doing. Kind of like having a baby or getting married or the other things we have to learn as we, as we go. <laughs> learn on the fly. Fasting, you just have to do it to understand it. But there is a mystical union with God that happens when you skip food. When you bring yourself to a point of intentional weakness and in longing for the other world or in desperate prayer, there is a way that you can contact God and be more in communion with him while you skip your food. We rule our appetites and what the Bible calls the lust of the flesh. All through the New Testament, our sin is called our flesh. There's a reason why. That sin is called our flesh. Anything that you are tempted to do in torturous temptation, whether that's alcoholism or addiction of some sort or porn or whatever, if you fast, you will starve it. You think, well, that's not related. Porn isn't related to food. It is because they're in your body. And I'm not saying it will magically disappear. I'm saying you will starve it and keep it weak. When you fast regularly, you keep your, not just your body, but your flesh nature, you will keep it weak. And you will begin to be able to distinguish between your body and the spirit. Once you pass three days, and again once you pass ten, and again once you pass three weeks, you will feel inside, you will feel changes, and you'll get to a point where your body is not just hungry, but your body is actually weak. And you will realize, food is not my only source of strength. There is strength in my spirit that is the energy for my day, and I can do this. And I, you, you begin to understand in a way, no other way possible, you begin to understand and feel inside of your own self the difference between your body and your soul and your spirit. You, will, you can get to a point where food isn't tempting anymore. You still have some ups and downs, but a lot of times your strength comes up and it stays up most of the time. When I was in my 40-day fast 12 years ago, I cut four quart of firewood. I herded animals, and not at the beginning, not the first two weeks, but... After that, you will become aware of a strength that you're living by that's not from calories. It's, it's in your body, but it isn't your body. You will open up a passageway into the spirit world, and you will have communion with God in a way you can't any other way. So I'm talking about our spiritual authority in these last two months. And so the authority of fasting, why does fasting add power to our prayer? Why does it ramp it up? in God's view. It's because fasting is humbling yourself. It, even in a small way, it's a type of dying. It's a, putting yourself to death. And it's voluntary suffering. And I've told you the last few weeks how both of those give us authority in our praying with God. That God is attracted to humility and the, us voluntarily suffering 
for the good of another, which is God or our neighbor, God listens. It catches God's attention. Not saying that your everyday prayers don't matter because God understands you're not going to be fasting every day. And everyday prayers do matter. But paying a voluntary price to suffer, to either minister to the Lord or for a loved one that you're praying for their salvation or their healing, whatever it is, adding fasting to your prayer will result in you connecting with God in a special way. Again, I want to say, fasting is never commanded. It is not something you have to do to be a successful Christian. It will have tremendous benefits for your body and your spirit. You do not have to do it. Nobody is required. If you want to go through life living on Twinkies and Mountain Dew, you go right ahead. It'll cost you. You go right ahead. But fasting will have tremendous benefits. It is not required. Here is the fast that God requires from Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they see me daily and they delight to know my nays. They live like a nation that does righteousness and they didn't forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me my laws and justice and they take delight in approaching me. But then they say, why have we fasted and you have not seen? And why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? It's because, in fact, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and you exploit all your employees. And indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. And you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. It's not a fast that I have chosen, a, man, a day for a man to afflict his soul. This is the fast I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burden, to let the oppressed go free, and that you may break every yoke. Is it not? that you share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When they, you see the naked, that you cover him and you not hide yourself from your own people. Then your light shall break forth like the morning and your healing shall break forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry out and he will say, here I am. God says, I don't care if you afflict your soul and you go without food and you go about uh, acting like you're humble if you're not living in love. That's the fast that I command. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're wasting your time giving your money, you're wasting your time praying, you're wasting your time fasting because you just do it for points with people and points with God. God says, if you're going to fast, it's got to be in love for me and love for other people or it's powerless. The fast that God ordains is that we give our time and our money and our energy and our life away serving the people around us. That's the fast God wants. There is tremendous spiritual and physical benefit to physical fasting. But what God is most interested, if you're not interested in physical fasting or you don't want to or you think you're excused, fine. God says, this is the fast I really want. You take care of your neighbor. Serve the people around you. That's where the spiritual power will flow. Add to that physical fasting, watch the magic happen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.